I'll be reading from John 21, starting at verse 15. John 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them would be written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that could be written. Well, good afternoon. My name is Trevor Archer. I'm one of the members at Globe Church. It's a real uh, joy to be able to be here this afternoon and open up God's Word. Uh, please turn back to that passage that Adriana just read for us in John 21. And as you do that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the fact that this incident is recorded for us. And we pray that this afternoon it would come to us with freshness and with the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to challenge us, to comfort us, to strengthen us, to draw us after Christ. We pray this for our good and for his glory. Amen. Well, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? Actually, that's not a bad uh, line, as it were, to speak to a non-Christian and offer them the opportunity of asking God a question. And the Bible is not frightened of that. Indeed, it welcomes our questions. But the reality is, the more important questions are those that God asks of us. And there are plenty of them in the Bible. At the very beginning of the Bible, there's a very uh, poignant and uh, uh, question that, that's, that's pregnant uh, with anticipation. When God comes to Adam and he says to Adam, where are you? Where are you? It's a question about the whole purpose and direction 
of Adam's life and these stupid attempts to hide from God. When Jesus comes, as we read in the four Gospels, he peppers us with questions. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? What shall a man give in place for his soul? Why do you labour for that which will not satisfy? But there's one question above all questions that takes us actually to the very heart of our meaning and our identity as human beings. And here it is in John 21. In fact, it's here three times. It's the question that Jesus asks of Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Now, the backstory to this incident is that three times before the crucifixion, Peter had, in spite of his vows of loyalty and willingness to follow Christ, three times Peter had denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had warned Peter that it was going to happen, but that made no difference to this proud man. He blithely went ahead, and to his own remorse, three times, sure enough, he denied Jesus within a matter of hours. The memory of it still haunted him and shamed him. He could still taste those bitter tears of shame that he had wept on the night of his denial of Jesus. He caved in under the pressure of others and the fear of others. And this chapter records the story of Peter's restoration. But what I want us to see is the way in which Jesus goes about restoring Peter. Because it will be in a way that will change him forever. And it all revolves around this one question, do you love me? Three times Jesus poses the question to Peter, no doubt to remind him of his own denials. But there's more to it than that, far more to it than that. Because Jesus is taking Peter on a journey of self-discovery. You see, Peter didn't really know himself too well. The first time Jesus asks Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he adds these words, more than these. Now this is quite intriguing because we're not sure what the these are. It could have been Jesus was pointing to the boats. That was Peter's business, that's how he earned a living. It was to his boats that we read about in verse 3 of chapter 21 that Peter returned in all the turmoil and bewilderment that surrounded Jesus' resurrection. Peter returned to the familiar. That's very natural. When confusion, sadness, tragedy invades our life, we often seek solace in our work, in our interest, in our activity. Peter had certainly done that. <laughs> the irony is, it hadn't proved very successful. He'd been all night, the seasoned fisherman had been all night and not caught a single fish. Do you love me more than these? Well, it could have been his business. It could have been his boats. Or 
it could have been, of course, the other disciples. Because there they were alongside Peter, and Peter loved to contrast himself with them. He loved to play the comparison game. A few days earlier, he'd said to Jesus, these, these disciples may desert you, I will never desert you. Even if all them leave you, I will never leave you. Lord, when it comes to allegiance to you, I'm the top man. You could count on me. Now I guess the very thought of those rash words haunted Peter. He probably turned red with embarrassment as he thought about it. Well, whether that these things are the boats, the business, or whether it's other people, Jesus' question hits home. You see, love of self and love of idols can never take the place of Christ. The acclaim of others, the acquisition of things, the subtle self-promotion that's a success in this world. Whatever it is we look for, for security and identity, it can't ever possibly meet that deep need of our spirit. There's only one that can do that. And here he is, talking with Peter. Verse 16, a second time Jesus comes and questions Peter. Peter, do you truly love me? Peter, do you realize how rash and impetuous you are? How proud you are, how little you know yourself? So please don't rush to answer this question. You've done that before. Take time to think about this, Peter. Do you really love me? You see what Jesus is doing? He's forcing Peter to stop, to reflect, to self-examine, to grasp how he ticks. And then a third time, in verse 17, Jesus comes to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Now there's a play on words here in the Greek New Testament that doesn't come out in our English translation. And that's because we have a catch-all word, love. And love co covers everything. It's the kind of word that covers everything from food to football. I love food. I love football. It covers mild affection to deep passion. I love you with all my heart. We have that one word. And in the first two questions, Jesus uses the Greek word philio, from which we get Philadelphia, friendship. Do you love me with that kind of affection, the affection of a friend, Peter? But now it's a different word that Jesus uses here. It's the Greek word agape that we don't find that often in the New Testament. It's the word that covers a deep, passionate, sacrificial commitment, the kind of deep, passionate, sacrificial commitment that God the Father showed when he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on a rescue mission to this world. It's the same love, the same agape that Jesus showed as he hung there and stayed there on the cross in spite of all the jibes and accusations of his enemies, out of love for his people. Peter, do you have this kind of gut-wrenching love 
this sacrificial love for me, no matter where it will take you. Not a passing or even a deep affection. No, do you have a constant love for me? So that no matter what the storms are in life that come along, no matter what the setbacks, no matter what the cost, no matter what the sacrifices, you will follow me from this day on. And as we're going to see, it's a pretty heavy future for Peter because in verse 18, Jesus talks to Peter as to how he is going to end his life. He is going to literally follow Christ to a cross. But do you see the journey that Peter's been taken on here? It's going to be the turning point of his life, of his whole Christian life. Peter, do you love me? In fact, there's no greater question that the Creator can ask us, his creatures, than this. It's the question that Jesus will ask all his followers sooner or later. He isn't asking if you've got affection for him, or respect, or appreciation. No, he says, do you love me? Am I the passion of your life? Am I the center of your experience? Am I the joy of your soul? Am I the one whose approval you seek above all others? Am I the one whose agenda is the driving force of your life, Peter? Do you love me? You see how everything flows from this one question. And this question is first asked of a man who had miserably failed Jesus. And maybe that's where some of us are at right now this afternoon. It's been a tough year. It's been a year since we first had to come to terms with COVID. It's been a hard year. And it may be in this past year you've drifted in your Christian life. The everyday pressures of living have crowded out your first love. Maybe you are dry spiritually. Maybe your Bible remains a closed book except on Sunday when you open it for Globe Church of an afternoon. Maybe prayer is all but non-existent. When asked by friends as to the state of your relationship with the Lord, you've become very good at smoke-screening your answer. But deep in your heart, you know the truth is this. You've become distant from Christ. My friend, today, he lovingly draws alongside us confronts us just as he did Peter of old and he stands before us with this one question do you love me? well in the time left to us I want you to see there's only one answer to that question and as a result of it only one way to travel let's look at the one answer look at Peter's answer in verse 17 it comes right from his heart Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. It's the answer of a broken, contrite, believing man. 
You know all things, Lord. You know me better than I know myself. You love me better than I love myself because you are my saviour. You know how weak and proud and foolhardy I can be. But Lord, when that's all stripped away, you do know that I love you. Not as I want to, but I do love you. Maybe you're a Christian. Like Peter, you've failed. Perhaps you've denied Christ by your lack of words or your lack of witness. Perhaps you've run after other things or other people. Maybe you've allowed your mind to dwell upon lust and pornography. Maybe the bitter weeds of choking envy have begun to get a grip upon your heart. Sadly, there are 101 ways in which we can fail Christ. But when everything else is stripped away, as Jesus comes alongside you this afternoon and says to you, put your name there. Do you love me? Can you say as a Christian from your heart, Lord, there's no point hiding from you. You know everything. You know that I love you. You see, this wasn't the end of the story for Peter. Actually, it was the beginning of a totally new phase of his life. And it can be the start of a totally new phase in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. If this afternoon we can say, Lord, you know all things. You know how I've botched up. You know how I've messed up. There's nothing hidden from you. But Lord, you do know that I love you. You do know that my heart is moved by your sacrifice for me on the cross. You do know that I'm so grateful for your patience and for your forgiveness. You know it all, Lord. Nothing's hidden from you. Is that you this afternoon? Well, this is the only answer that the Lord is looking for. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. It may be that you're not yet a Christian. You just happen to be looking into this broadcast, and if that's the case, it's just brilliant to have you here. It may be that in recent days you've found yourself increasingly challenged and confronted by the claims of Jesus. Maybe God's brought a Christian into your life, and they've spoken to you about the Lord Jesus and about the gospel and you've seen in their life something qualitatively different and it's both intrigued you and at the same time slightly repelled you but you've been forced to realize the emptiness of life without God and this past year has done that when all the props that we surround ourselves with in life have been knocked away one by one and you're left with who you are what you're looking for in life, then the claims of the Lord Jesus come with fresh power and relevance to you. Because he is the only one who can fill us and satisfy us. He is our creator. He is the one who so loved us that he came to rescue us by his death upon the cross and pay for our crass rebellion against him. And he draws aside you this afternoon. 
He doesn't ask you, do you regard him? Do you think he's a great teacher? Do you admire him? No, he says, do you love me? Do you see me for who I am? I am the God who spoke this world into being. I'm the God who spoke your life into being. I'm the God who stands at the end of your life as the judge of all mankind for that justice that we all long for. And it's all wrapped up in the one question. Do you love me? Well, wouldn't it be wonderful if this afternoon is the first step on your journey to come to know Christ for yourself? Lord, you know all things. So let me, let me find out who you are. And if God is working that way in your life, why don't you, you find that Christian in your life and ask them to explain the Christian gospel simply to you and point you in the direction of the Lord Jesus. For he's never turned anybody away who comes to him with that heart and that spirit and that humility. One answer alone is necessary. Do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And if that answer is true for us, then it leads to one way. Did you notice that after all three of Peter's declarations of love for Christ, he's given a task to do. Verse 15, feed my lambs. Verse 16, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, feed my sheep. Peter, this isn't just about you and I. This isn't simply about restoring you to a relationship with me. No, it's far greater than that. It's about my people. It's about my kingdom. It's about what I'm about in this world. You see, Peter, at this point, is commissioned to play his part in God's wonderful, overarching purposes for this world. To call people from all different nationalities and throughout all different passages of time into this relationship with him. Peter, if you love me, you will love my people. You will feed my little ones, my lambs. You will take care of my sheep that I've purchased with my own blood. You will feed my sheep. You see what the Lord is saying here to Peter. Peter, I'm beginning a process in your life. I'm giving you a commission to be part of my great worldwide plan of redemption. And it's all other person centered. Peter, by nature, like the rest of us, you are so taken up with yourself. And Peter, I'm beginning a work today in your heart that will equip you and change you. It's going to take the whole of your lifetime, but it starts today. And it's all wrapped up with the care of my people and an other person's centeredness that looks out upon the world and sees it in its true state, its true condition, and it looks with compassion upon that world, and it looks with a brotherly love and a sisterly love upon my church, my people those others that I brought into my kingdom. You see, Christ's agenda has not changed. It's all about salvation. It's all about gathering a people to himself. And it begins here on this seashore after the resurrection. And nothing actually 
matters more than this. This is God's big agenda for the world. This is what's going on. You won't read about it in a newspaper. It will never hit the headlines. But this is what's happening day by day by day. One by one by one around the world, Jesus is calling men, women, boys and girls into his kingdom, into his church. And Peter's being commissioned to have an integral part in the growth of that kingdom. And if we understand that, to be involved in that is the greatest privilege in all the world. Later on in life, at the end of his life, Peter wrote a couple of letters that we have. They're called 1 and 2 Peter. And in 1 Peter, Peter talks about the fact that he has an inheritance. Not only him, but he says every Christian has this inheritance in heaven. And it can never spoil, it can never fade, it can never perish. It's kept in heaven for those who believe. That's where it's all heading to. This glorious inheritance in a new heaven and new earth. But what is that inheritance? Well, it's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because you see, come back to the question. Do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Well, what does love want? What's the one thing that love wants? It's to be with your lover. It's to be with the one who loves you. That's the destiny of the Christian. To be with Christ forever. Just as we thought at the beginning of our time this afternoon, he alone is the one who is perfect and just and constant and faithful and lovely. And eternity will be for the Christian to be in his presence, in this new heaven, in this new earth forever. That's the inheritance. Peter spoke of it so eloquently at the end of his life. It was so real, so vivid, so present to him. What greater joy can there be than to know that the significance of my life is wrapped up in God's great purposes for this world? You see, what will matter in a hundred years' time not the size of our bank balance, it's not the job that we've done, it's not the places we've been, it's not the people that we've impressed, it's not the status that we may have gained. It all comes down to this, doesn't it? That I might be with the one who so loved me that he lavished his love upon me at the cross and constantly, daily, showed me that love in spite of my foolishness my crassness, my rebellion, my failing. Because you see, following Christ is not about our performance. It's about his performance for us. And he gives us his righteousness, his acceptance, because the price for our failure has been paid 2,000 years ago on the cross. But look now what the Lord as we come to an end look what the Lord says in verses 18 to 19 very truly I tell you Peter when you were younger you dressed yourself and went where you wanted but when you are old you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go Jesus said this to indicate what kind of death by which Peter would glorify God then he said to him 
follow me. Do you get the immensity of that moment? How would you like it if somebody had the power to come up to you and tell you how your life would end in 30 years' time? For me, it's not going to be 30 years, I fear, unless I get the Queen's telegram as a 100-year-old, but it's heavy duty, this, isn't it? Peter, you're going to go the same way that I've just been. You're actually going to go to the cross. I mean, that is heavy duty. Peter has to live with that for the rest of his life. And yet then, Jesus says to him, follow me. Follow me, Peter, down the Calvary road. Follow me, Peter. It's the road of self-denial. It's the road of inconvenience. It's other person-centered, the same other person-centeredness that beats in my heart all the while and the Spirit of God will place in your heart. Peter, follow me. It's costly, but it's worth it. This inheritance laid up in heaven for you. It will never spoil or fade or perish. It's incomparable. But you see, loving Christ begins right now. It's shown in the everyday things of listening to his voice every day in the scriptures, in the Bible, of talking with him every day as we pray, in arranging our priorities around serving him and putting him first, especially when it hurts. For that's what lovers do. But you know the thing that really hits home on this? is not only the heavy dutiness of those verses and Christ telling Peter how his life is going to end. The thing I love in this story is Peter's response in verse 20. Because having been told that he's, at the end of the day, going to end his life very, in a very gruesome fashion, Peter just can't help but notice next to him the Apostle John. The one whom Jesus loves, says John's Gospel. The one who gave us this Gospel. And he just can't help himself, could he? And he says, he, it blurts out from him, Lord, what about him? I don't know if he was hoping for an even more gruesome end for John, but it's... Isn't that... The wonderful thing about this is this. Here's Peter. He has just been restored. He's just been confronted with the depth of his, his, his rebellion against God, but the immensity of God's love for him. He's just been welcomed back in. He's just been commissioned to do this great task. But old habits die hard. And Peter is just in the comparison game all the while. And right at this very moment, he can't help himself. He blurts it out. What about him? To which Jesus says, don't you worry about him. I'll take care of him. You follow me. I don't know you. I find that so encouraging. Because you see, I can be restored to the Lord, and yet I still struggle. Struggle with those deep-seated habits and attitudes and reactions that take a lifetime to be dealt with. 
But the great thing is, God's in the business of dealing with that. And at the end of his life, in his first epistle, Peter has this lovely phrase. He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That was so autobiographical, isn't it? It's, it's taken him 30 years on from this incident to realize just how proud he is. It generally takes us that long. Now in my 70s, like Newton, I can say two things I've learned. One, I'm a great sinner. Two, I have a great savior. And those particular besetting habits and sins and failings, Jesus doesn't sap them out of Peter. <laughs> right there, he, he can't help himself, he's on it again. And he'll be on it again in the book of Acts. He'll be frightened of what people think of him, what others think of him. And Paul was going to have to confront him. You see, this, this is going to take a lifetime of change, but that is so encouraging. For he, says the scripture, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Like Magnus Magnuson of old, which will mean nothing to you, if you're under 50. But there was the program mastermind. It's now John Humphreys. Oh no, it's no, he's, he's gone now, isn't he? But anyway, Magnus Magnuson, the, the key phrase, the catchphrase is this. When, when the buzzer went at the end of the two minutes, you know, they're peppering the questions. When that buzzer went, if he was midway through the question, he would say, I've started, so I'll finish. And the person was able to respond to the question. I've started, so I'll finish. That's what God does in our life. He starts and he will complete it. And what he calls us to do is to come to him with open hands, open hearts, an open desire, an open spirit, a frankness about ourselves that says, Lord, you know how I mess up. You know my failings. But Lord, you do know that I love you. And to such a person, Jesus never, ever turns away. And today, the risen, conquering Christ stands on the shore of the rest of our lives and asks us personally, do you love me? Well, our answer must be, mustn't it? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Then come, follow me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that this incident is recorded and that, again, we've seen there are no heroes in the Bible other than the Lord Jesus. And even the great ones, the great men and women, They've all got feet of clay. They're all beset by sin and failing, just as we are. And yet, what an encouragement that is. Because to such people, you come and you call and you invite and you command to yourself. Lord, may our hearts be open and receptive and help us even this day to put into place whatever needs to be done that we might follow you, but most of all to be able to say those words, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Lord, please help us 
and be with us in the rest of our time together now we ask. Amen.